if I was thinking about that daunting process, I would have eaten me up, but it was like, nope, today, next day, next day, just one foot in front of the other. Well, good day and welcome to what is a weekend special episode of Humans of Agriculture. I don't think it gets any better than spending your Saturdays with us or Ned Brockman for that matter. If you are enjoying your long weekend, I hope you're keeping safe, driving safe, keep your eyes on the road, off your phone, slow down. But we recorded this podcast actually a few weeks ago down on the lands of the Muwe Ninar people down in Hobart, Tasmania as part of the Australian Dairy Conference. And... God, I'm excited to share this chat with you. I was absolutely fanboying Ned the whole time. I think what he's done and the way that he is able to inspire people to try things and push themselves is absolutely extraordinary. I'm not going to take any more of your time than what I need to, but Ned Brockman, always so candid, saying it how it is. I think what I really wanted to do as part of this conversation was actually when a room full of people involved, 55% of the room were farmers, and the rest are involved in agriculture. So we wanted to look at Ned's upbringing and life on the farm and how his parents and mentors, his dad, is a farmer. G'day, Ian, if you're listening. Hopefully you are a fan of the podcast. Um, and understand the role that agriculture has played in shaping him. And so we chat about everything from his latest shower habits, which he's following through on for the whole year, his childhood on farm, what's driving him day in and day out. We even do it over a couple of chalky milks and you might have to listen as to why that is. Let's go. This session, it's about the art of the possible, and I don't think I really need to give our first guest too much of an introduction, but I'd better, because there may be some of you who aren't too aware of Ned. Now, Ned Brockman is an absolutely extraordinary human. He's inspired a nation, pushed himself to his limits, raised more than $2.5 million for charity. He was once involved in a bit of foreplay where he ran 50 marathons in 50 days, which is, uh, I guess, a pretty significant feat for anyone, but for Ned, he wanted to go bigger. And so when it comes to what's possible, Ned just continues to dream. For those of you who aren't aware of who Ned is, you're about to be captivated by his story, but late last year, over 46 days, he ran over 4,000 kilometres. He ran from Perth in Cottesloe Beach to Bondi, and the only reason he actually stopped running was because he ran out of land. So, can we get a big welcome for Ned Brockman? Thank you, guys. Thanks, mate. Welcome, I didn't know what you were going with when you said uh, all play, but here we go. Went <laughs> <laughs> <Where>, well. <laughs> I, could, I could start off, it's a bit of a weird thought, but um, you actually are doing something a bit different. And I, we talked about voices in heads yesterday. You're a voice in my head this morning in the shower. Can you just... <laughs> it's not as weird as what it's you think it is. Kinky, isn't it? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about this shower business that you're doing this year. Yeah, I, I guess you can uh, get that I crave the uncomfortable, the, the discomfort. And one thing I committed to at the start of the year was to not have a warm shower this year. Um, and Hobart, it's bloody cold here in the water. Um, it's not right now, but it, is, it was in the shower this morning. So I really want a hot shower, but um, I'm sticking to the cold showers and, and haven't uh, succumbed to the hot yet. So I'm in all these shower thoughts. How's it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is this something that you just pick these little challenges and just decide, you know what, I'm, 
I'm sticking to it. He's stubborn as all heck. Yeah, absolutely. Very stubborn. Um, I, it's just, I think it's that, that growth mindset. When I start to do um, something hard, I want to do the next thing because I know where that gets me when I, when I get into a really hard situation that I can't control. I know that I've done the hard, hard yards prior, so when I get there, I'm, uh, I'm well equipped for whatever it is. And so many people may not be aware, you're actually a Forbes, we grew up on a farm. You've moved to Sydney over the last few years. Has Sydney changed you? Yeah, mate. Um, vegan now. Uh, <laughs> soy lattes. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you full, drink milk? Full cream, mate. Full cream. Oh, really? <laughs> Tomo, do you actually want to grab us a couple of chalky milks? Oh, sure. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but tell me a little bit. You grew up on the farm. Home is in Forbes. Tell me a little bit about your childhood We're on and here. what that was like. How good is this? He's not bad, is he? <laughs> Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I grew up I grew up in Forbes, uh, central New South Wales, 60k west. Uh, Dad's a cattle farmer. And I guess it all just comes from like my mindset and where this all came from was about uh, having a father and a mother, but especially Dad that just did. Um, he never talked the talk. It was always doing and, and walking the walk. And some... It was, you know, I didn't realise at 3.30 in the morning when I hear the tractor drive out, out to the back to feed the cattle, that we were four years in drought. I was never told about that. I, it was always give you, you know, the kids the opportunity. And I'm sure everyone in this room has dealt with these battles. And um, I, I was just naive to it all when I was a young, young kid. And then when out of school, I had a year off and he did a gap year on the farm. And I was just, I realised that Dad has done this for... 40 plus years without one word, one complaint, one you know sigh of anything, and I, I think that's what I I like I resonate with because I, you know, it, hard work shows that you can you can get through anything, and I think that's where that's where this mindset for me has come from, and as well a mother that uh, says you got to do whatever you want to do, but do it with conviction, don't don't half-ass it, and I think yeah, it's just bred a bit of a beast. Absolutely. <laughs> Not that I'm a beast, a bit of a beast in my head. That sounds like a fucking It's bred something in me that's where we want to go and do this. Jesus Christ. You're telling the story. But a generational farmer, your old man? Uh, no, not a generational farmer. He, was, he bought a, a part of what the farm is now of his old man. Um, but it was all he knew. It was just like he grew up, um, his dad, you know, he was selling pigs at 14, shearing at 15 because he was working for his dad for free, never made any money, even up until the age of 25, he didn't pay him a wage, didn't pay him anything. And so he'd go shear on the weekends and try and earn a dollar shearing, so he became a very good shearer because he knew he's got to live and buy his $4,000 HQ and you know, all, those, all those stories, I'm sure all you blokes bloody say to your, uh, your sons. But um, yeah, it was just, uh, he, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a bloody weapon, old, the old man. Did, you, did your dad expect you to come back onto the farm? Like, was there an expectation there, or did he maybe reward you, or actually even maybe push you away from it? There, there was never any pressure at all, which I, I found so powerful. I think he had that almost expectation from his dad to go, um, you know, this is what you're going to do. This is all you've ever been shown. Um, but I think because he didn't like that, that was all his opportunity was. Was he just went, I don't want you kids to feel like that. You don't have to feel this pressure of. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. go do what you want, but I want you to do it wholeheartedly. And I think I, I'm forever grateful for that. Not that I, I, I'm, you know, for my childhood, that was incredible. I, I, you don't realise how good you got it when you grow up on a farm 
and you move to Sydney and you see kids who are, you know, literally living next door to each other, their backyards are not, you know, thousands of acres where you can go ride motorbikes. And I'm, I'm just, yeah, forever grateful for that. And that dad just went, no, go do what you want to go get a trade, go to the uni, do what it is you want to do. For the moment, the farm's here if you want to come back and you want to, we, we can discuss them. But I'm, 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 yeah, very grateful that that was never a, uh, it was never forced because it's, yeah, I feel like you can, you can turn away from it a lot harder if it is forced. Was the gap year always going to be just a single year or did you, you decided after that, you know, farming's not for me? Yeah, I just dove into it because I didn't really have an idea. I said, oh, I'd love to come back and help dad for the year. I just thought, you know, I'm, he's bloody busted his ass day in, day out to send me off to school and I, I, I wanted to repay that in a bit. And I just, yeah, that first week of uh, 4K of fucking fencing, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't too chuffed. I think we ended up doing 62K of fencing that year. Um, made the most of yeah, the young <laughs> So that turned me away from farming, I'll tell you that. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I just, it was a, you know, it was crazy to me that I just, you know, I'd seen this old man just never once complain and then go out and do that work with him and work in the heat of summer, 50 hour weeks, 60, 70 hour weeks and just go, I've never heard this bloke, like it's all been for us, it's giving us the opportunity and I think that's what's so powerful is like, I'm trying to live my life in that way. It's not about me, it's about what comes of me doing this, like inspiring people and raising money and motivating. And for dad, it was always the purpose of, I wanna give my kids an opportunity that I never had. And so when I saw that, I was like, how, how like selfless is that? You know, it's never been about making money. It's been about the security to know we will have a good future. And so that's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty special. Your, the why comes up a lot in, and it came up yesterday. Your, why? What is it today? I think it's A, to push myself and see my limits, like push myself to an absolute limit because I've, you know, I'm a beast. <laughs> no, because I, I, I pushed, like, it, it all came about for, for weight loss for me. I was in, um, I was 20 years old, I'm getting on the beers every weekend, going down that path of every 20 year old does out of school. Uh, didn't want to miss out, no, it was FOMO, didn't want to, you know, just follow the crowd, be a sheep. And I was just every weekend on the beers and I honestly looked at myself in the mirror one, one afternoon after work, covered in concrete dust ch after chasing brick walls all day and went, you're like overweight here. So I literally started moving to, to lose weight and then it became about this growth mindset to go five, seven, I'm gonna run 9K, I'm gonna run 15K, I'm gonna run 20K. And then I started to go, where's this limit? Where, where does this go? And it ended up, you know, as you said, around 50 marathons in 50 days, the natural progression from three kilometre run. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I, I think that this, the why has come from, it was originally about a weight loss goal, but what came from doing these hard things and this finding my limit was, fuck, people are living like through me, knowing if I get up and can run 100k today, I can get up and go and fence for a kilometre. I can go and, um, I can run 5K, I've never run before, I'm gonna go do something. And I think that's my why, is that I know people will rely, like, rely on me now to go, Fuck, if he, he, you know, he's living this life like this, why can't I go and do that? And as well, just seeing where my limits, where my limits are, and I think that's, that's the, the why. I think what's really interesting, and, and we'll jump into maybe the running side, but you, I'll say, not that you were a nobody, you, you did get some publicity out of the 50 marathons in 50 days. There was another small run you did. Can you just tell me about the Bronte Hill and yeah. what happened there? Um, I, yeah, so it was, we touched on this earlier, but I found 
when I finished the 50 marathons 50 days, I was working at the same time, so I would wake up 5.30, go to work 6.30, get on the tools for eight hours, uh, sometimes sleep on the tools, but that's, I was still there. <laughs> um, and then I would go run 42K in the afternoon, get home, do it all again. And um, after that, I felt this lack of who I was. I had probably defined myself off what I could do rather than who I was. So when I was being this guy running a marathon a day every day, I had all this hype around it, had all this excitement about what I was doing, but it was, that was besides the point. So when I finished it, I was like, I've got to do something else. And the, the run I did was, um, I ran 200 laps around Bronte Hill, which is a, uh, almost a kilometre loop with 30 metres elevation every time. So it ended up being a 145k run uh, after work in the middle of the night um, with 6,000 metres elevation. But I got injured after that. That was the, the main thing. The, what I'm trying to get at is I was, you know, I had to keep running and keep doing these things to feel like I was somebody. And then when I started this journey of this run across the country, it was this the people I was inspiring and motivating was so much more important than you know, being this person who can do these runs. And I think that, yeah, very powerful. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. On that intrinsic extrinsic, you're obviously way out here as an internal motivator. Mm. In the lead up, it was a two year lead up into the 46 day run across the country. What was motivating you, and I guess at different stages, what role did external voices have? And then at what stage did the internal voice come in? Yeah, it's a good question. I think initially the first, like, the goal of running 100k a day was clearly, it was a record. I wanted to break the record, 43 days, the fastest ever person across the country. And it was the reason I was getting up, like my training six months prior, I was getting up at 4am to go train for work, go to work, get home, train again. And it was this like thing in the back of my head going, you're going to get this record. You know, the German, the German bloke who's got it, he's 51 when he got it, I'm going to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I, to get there, you need, like I think you need all fuel, all inspiration, and it's with anything. If being the top bloody dairy farmer or top whatever, it's like you need these external motivators to get you there and get you to keep pushing. But when I got to there, and I got to the red, like I got to day 11, I'm 1,100 kilometres into this run, 11 days in, set, I'm, this is everything's, you know, there's a lot wasn't going my way, but I was sticking to the plan. I got this injury on day, uh, day 12, and I tried to, I was adamant I was going to walk 100k a day for 20 hours a day. Sleep for, uh, sleep for three hours and have an hour leeway either way. I was just set on this goal. And my physio just went, mate, this is probably not going to, you know, you're probably going to break your leg here if you don't go and sort it out. So we drove a 14-hour trip to Wyala, central South Australia, and the nearest MRI machine. And on that trip, I was like, this record's getting away from me. And if I had defined my worth and my, you know, who I was off, 
me getting that record, I, could have, I would have just kept driving to Sydney. It wouldn't have mattered. Because I'd done 11 days, everything was all good. But because of what I was doing it for, the people getting inspired, the money we're raising, you know, the 2.6 we end up raising, the, um, what I was showing myself and being able to keep showing up and, and when, all, when everything would think you couldn't, I think that was what kept me through. And that, that's that internal motivation. I want to challenge you on that. The, <laughs> the record run. It, it, it was, was that the main thing that you were telling yourself to? And then what actually switched, you've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but on day 11, mm. the record started to slip out. Mm. Like, yeah, how, how, had you already shifted before that stage that the record was everything? I think that was, that, I, did, I knew it wasn't everything, but it was crucial at the point there. I was like, this will all, this will all be amazing, the money we raise and this and that, but it's a, it, was a, it was a fork in the road. And if... You know, I, I was waking up every morning looking at myself in the mirror going, can you keep going? And it was like, yes, you can. Are you done? No. Well, get out of that fucking door. And like, that was, that was it. I had this internal battle every single morning. My body's withering away. I'm 12 kilos lighter than I am right now. And there was, a, there was ample opportunity to pull the pin. You know, everyone would have said, well done. You got, you got halfway across the country. Great work. But that was not the reason for me to get that done was so much more valuable than any record ever could have been. And, but I found that out probably through not getting that record. If I got the record, it would have been, oh, I've got to get this next record, next record. But, and that's the common question I get after is, asked after is, what's next? And it's not, I don't have to, I don't have to one up what I've done. I have to do it because I want to do it and not, not listen to any external pressures to do it. Uh, and that's, yeah, I think that's powerful. I think we'll probably jump around in here a little bit, but yeah. I think one thing that's really interesting in agriculture, when we see um, people tithing their self-identity to what they do. Mm. As soon as you stopped running in Bondi, Ned the runner was taken away from you. Mm -hmm. How confronting was it? Um, I think because of that moment on day 11 and the realization I didn't get the record, um, you know, we touched on it earlier, but if I didn't, if I don't have to run, if I never have to run again after today, that's fine. Running, I've never, I've never loved running because of running. I've loved running because of the tool it gives me. I can show people they can do so much more. I can inspire the people to keep doing it. So. You know, I, I'm still me. I'm still the same bloke with the same values, with the same family that supported me to get me to where I want to go. It's, it's never been about, um, look at me, I've just crossed the country. Um, and I think that's, like, probably the greatest thing is, like, as long as you're doing it for being a good person or doing it for um, something greater than yourself, then, you know, whether you get a record or get fame or whatever is irrelevant. Yeah. And I think probably really interestingly, that fame began to come and increase as, as you're actually running on. What stage, like, did, did it ever become distracting having that external noise coming in or did it actually become motivating? Um, I, I had a few, like, messages of people where it was, like, it was motivating and, and at the time it was really cool, but it didn't really factor into any sort of aiding me to get there or pulling me back. It was more like, oh, that's cool, except that these people are watching, this is great, there's a lot of people getting behind this, there's a lot of money getting raised. The money raised was important, it was a, something that was exciting, and I was like, if I keep taking another step, there was a day there we raised $100,000 on a day, so every K I got, I was raising another $1,000. So I'm like, geez, that's incentive to keep going. And I think, you know, on the last day we ended up raising like 400000 but um, yeah, it was, yeah, there was never, never any, any reason to quit, no. Day 13, no, day 15. You, yep. you obviously, so maybe people aren't aware, who was in your team around you um, from the lead up and then actually when it came to the crunch time? Yeah, so I had, a, um, I had my like, kind of management team, we kind of, and marketing and, and trying to get the word out there and 
and I had my, my girlfriend, my physio, my coach, uh, just trying to get this, get the ball rolling. I had a few stress fractures in my tibia uh, in the lead up, probably wasn't drinking enough milk. Um, <laughs> too much soy. Um, and <laughs> that's fucking, that word's not good in here, is it? <laughs> just for, for the record, I've never ever drunk a soy latte. <laughs> Ah, uh, fuck. Great joke, great joke. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, like, so my coach and my physio were very important at that time just to get me through, like, with the stress fracture. I was in a boot for six weeks after April, um, and so I was on the bike and trying to walk and trying to load my legs without getting Ks in. So, you know, the jump from no kilometres to 700K a week was a bit large. But um, And then on the run, I had my mum and dad, which was just fucking amazing, like, one of the most powerful things to be able to, you know... I'm, you leave the coop, you're out of school, you never really spend more than, you know, Christmas time with your family and to be able to spend 47 days with mum and dad just, you know, ripping each other's hair out uh, was pretty funny. But just like <laughs> the, the power of being able to do that together, it was very, very, like, very cool. Um, and then I had my girlfriend, photographer, videographer and my physio. Um, and they were, they were absolutely crucial. Yeah, on day 15, I just got back from the injections in my shin from the injury I got on day 11. Um, I'd run 200k in the next 200 days after we got the injection and a dictus band that basically wrapped around my ankle went through my shoelaces with a rubber band that aided my foot to go up and down because I lost all function in it. Um, and so I was in like a pain or like no other. I was crying like a baby at every stop. I was like the sheer will to try and get up and go again was just like, yeah, something I really brush over because it's quite twisted. Um, but... <laughs> fucking twisted <laughs> and so I, I took it out on my girlfriend and my mum and my dad I was like you know I should have taken it out on the road trains and the road kill and the winds and but I just went I oh, fuck you and you and you you know I was taking it out and it was it was not good and Jem and my girlfriend got super scared and drove off up to mum took all the water and food so I had 15k of nothing <laughs> That'll teach you. Yeah. Yeah, I went, oh, jeez, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, <laughs> I got up to the van and mum hops out of the van with, like, laser eyes. Oh, God, oh, no. <laughs> don't you ever speak to me like that. Don't ever speak to your girlfriend like that again. And I was like, noted. And then I took that on and went, look, I'm going to go run 20K. I'm going I'm to get to 40K here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologise, but I need this to... I need to bite my teeth and just get this, get this done. I got, got to the 40K and just apologised and went, I needed that, I needed to slap up the face. You guys are so much more important than I can even begin to tell you. Without them, if there was an airport nearby, they would have been on the nearest flight home. But <laughs> thankfully there's no airstrip on the Nullarbor other than the uh, Royal Air Service, whatever. But um, yeah, so th it was crucial. They were absolutely pivotal. I would have, I would have got to day two without a team. What's, that, what's it done for your relationship with your family? Yeah, it's a, it's a very cool story to have been able to share together. Um, Mum still cries most days if I bring up the run because it was a, very hard to watch her son uh, know at any point he was probably gonna, only going to get there or leave in a body bag and knowing that that was what was actually going on. I think she was quite uh, stressed about that. Uh, Dad just watched Netflix every moment he could. So, uh, <laughs> and he checked out the crops. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, we got to about halfway across. He's like, geez, the cops are getting good here. We might get a, start an Instagram, get some photos going. So that's how actually we connected. I tagged humans of agriculture in one of Dad's posts, uh, checking a crop, saying the bloody yield was shocking. And, uh, yeah. It's very funny. 
That sounds like a pretty good holiday for you, old man. Yeah, he you loved know. it. He loved it. He used, to, he used to drive a van every 20k and sit and watch Netflix for two hours. <laughs> I'm interested, like, what's worse, the physical pain or the mental pain? They're 100% as much as each other. Like, without the physical pain, the mental pain isn't, like, like the, the, it is 100% mental and it's 100% physical. Like, you know, this stress and this trying to get out that door is just this like most twisted emotion but then the actual moving and, and knowing your knees probably not going to ever be the same your hips are tearing your ankles like yeah it is um it's no 50 50 it's just all in yeah and for you i think what was really interesting we were chatting about what well, i was saying to you like in terms of if you're running just looking at your feet you're not going to be aware of what's ahead mm -hmm. but you also raised a really good point about if you're just looking at the horizon, it can be pretty confronting. So how do you actually approach it and break down, I guess, the process of the run across the country from the 4,000 Ks that were yeah. in front of you? I think if I did think about the 4,000 K ahead, the road trains, the road kill, the, like, I can't control what I, in the next 40 days, I can only control what I do today. And what I do today is to get to 20 K, get to 20 K, get to 20 K, get to 80 K, get to 100 K, and then, Okay, now I can get the ice bath. I think if you think about, like I hit WA, South Australia border. Um, that was about a thousand kilometers. I just crossed a state in 10 days on foot. Like that's fucking very cool. But to, it would have been like, what was really scary was the fact that looking, there was Bondi 3000 kilometers away. So you've just had this awesome adventure, but now you've still got this ahead of you. So if I was thinking about that daunting process, I would have eaten me up, but it was like, nope. Today, next day, next day, just one foot in front of the other. And I think, honestly, some days it got to that point. It was like, just take another step and you might, you might be able to start running here. So, yeah, I think, I think there's both ways. You don't want to just be looking at your feet because it'll get quite monotonous, but I'm quite patient in monotony. It's, um, it's something you have to be good at, staring at a white line for 17 hours a day. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was very wild. One thing we better touch on, and there is a bit of a story behind the chalky milk. Yeah. It was a bit of a reward at every, every day, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I love me chalky milk. I, uh, it was one thing I was absolutely crucial. All these uh, Gatorades and the whatever, all the electrolyte drinks, and the one thing I needed after every day was the chocolate milk. So I'd be like, get in the van, and I'd be like, where's the chocolate milk? <laughs> Gemma. So I, it was one thing I was like, when I finished the run, I was like, what a good thing to go down. I want to make a chalky milk. And hence the chalky milk's in front of us. So um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Inspired Unemployed, the, the better beer. It's, it's all in marketing. And as um, Glennis uh, was notified earlier, it's like, you know, it's such a, we want to get it into the broader community and not just you. You know, you all know about the uh, beauty of, you know, full cream milk. And it's like, I think, there's this power here to do that, and I, I would love to. I'm hopefully in the process of making a, a chalky milk, so if anyone in this room is keen to uh, have a chat after, I'd be loved, love to have a chat. Sounds like a pretty good dairy. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out, Brownie. Now, I'm mindful we've only got a, a couple of questions left, but one thing I, I ask everyone who comes up and has a chat with me, but I ask for, if you get the chance to go and chat to Year 10 students and give them a little bit of life advice, Hmm. Why would you tell them that they should look at the agriculture industry as one of opportunity? I think it's resilience as a whole. I think I don't know any farmer, farming wife, farm, uh, woman in farming, uh, just farmer in general that isn't resilient. 
I think it's like, it's the same way as a, a run across the country. It's like each day is a, is a grind out there. You've got all these factors that you can't control. It's a gamble a lot of the time. It's, you don't know where the next, when the next rain is. You don't know where prices of this, you don't know if, you know, whatever goes on. It's like the fact you're showing up each day is what's, is what's powerful. And I think, yeah, every, every child should go out on a farm and work on for six months out of school. I think it is the most powerful opportunity to, to be, to go and do that. Um, and I'm forever grateful that I got that opportunity to, you know, be raised in that and see that. But I think, yeah, it's, it's about that, um, one foot in front of the other, and and some days are gonna are gonna suck, but you know other days are really good. Now that you're slowly starting to get your way back into running, what are the kind of words and things that you're saying to yourself now in the mirror every day? Uh, similar to the one where I saw I was fat. No, <laughs> um, no I um I I'm honestly just doing it for the for the joy it brings me. The I get to be out in nature. I get to go and enjoy it. I as I said, I I don't actually love running. I just love the tool of running and what it can bring me. I've never actually gone out and gone, geez, I love running, um, which is ridiculous to go and run across the nation. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm just going with it and enjoying being outside and spending the, you know, the half hour just enjoying the surroundings. So um, trying to get back into it, trying to feel a bit fitter and excited about what's to come. Well, Ned, I think on behalf of everyone here, I think the, the work you've done in actually inspiring people, and I think you'll probably never ever know the impact that you have on people, whether it's people taking you into the shower for a, for a cold one, um, <laughs> or foreplay. <laughs> but I, I think what you've done, you'll probably never really see the true impact of that self-belief. And it's not in, in the sense of a comparison of, oh, I've got to go and run this to be like Ned, but it's that I can be better than what I was kind of yesterday. And if I just get up and do something small for myself, for someone else, whatever it might be, yeah. um, those incremental changes can actually have extraordinary results. So Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you for joining you, us here. That. Thank you, guys. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that special episode. We loved bringing it to you. There might be a few more coming out of these different events as we're touring the countryside because we're just meeting so many awesome people and having so many awesome conversations. Look after yourselves if you are in Victoria. Enjoy your long weekend. Please follow and subscribe to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. And even better, share it with a friend. See ya.